Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Lord God, we submit ourselves afresh to the authority of your holy word in our lives, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see your world and soften our hearts to hear your voice. Show us Jesus. Teach us the gospel. Make us your people. For the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your name, we pray. Amen. So if someone who knows a lot about something, hears someone else talk about that same something, that first someone can always tell if that someone else knows what they're talking about. Let me say that again. If someone who knows a lot about something hears someone else talk about that same something, then the first someone can always tell if that someone else, the second someone, actually knows what they're talking about. For example, men, some advice. Never talk about childbearing as if you know anything. All moms are that first someone who instantly knows that you, the second someone, don't know what you're talking about. You see, knowing about something is not the same as knowing something experientially. Knowing about childbearing, like even if you're an ob doctor, knowing about childbearing is not the same as knowing it personally and having experienced it. I know that's a little weird. How's this for even a weirder transition? It's the same for the follower of Christ. It's the same for the follower of Christ, meaning knowing about Christ is not the same as knowing Christ and experiencing Christ. You see, some think they know Christ by knowing about Christ, but that's not how it works. You have to experience Christ. You have to follow Jesus closely enough to do what Jesus did. And you can't know what you don't experience. This distinction between knowing about and knowing experientially is part of what's going on with the first followers of Jesus in our passage today. They knew about Christ. I mean, by this point, they'd spent over two years with him. But in this scene in Mark 10, as Jesus leads the disciples toward Jerusalem, it becomes clear they didn't know Christ in the sense of actually experiencing what he experienced and actually doing what he did. And the answer for how to experience him was very different than they thought. Jump in at Mark 10. And look at just the first couple phrases of verse 32. Mark says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. So they're following Jesus and they have been on the road for quite a while now. This phrase on the road or some variation of it shows up nine times in chapters eight through 12 in Mark. So Mark is making clear that Jesus and the disciples are headed somewhere. They're on the road. But here in verse 32, it's the first time he mentions the destination, that they're on the road to Jerusalem, which is not a detail Mark includes because he wants his readers to simply know Jesus' final destination in geographical terms. 
but that he includes because he wants to remind us that Jesus is on the road to his death, which his disciples kind of know and kind of didn't know. Just a couple chapters earlier in Mark 8, 34, Jesus had told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, meaning like here, Jesus is in the lead on the road. If anyone would come after me, then let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Which is to say that coming after Jesus, following him, is to deny self and to die. But at the moment, for the disciples there, this was in a way that they couldn't really yet track with and understand. So, back to Mark 10, 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. He was leading the way. And it says, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. They were amazed because they knew that Jesus was resolute in his direction to walk right into inevitable suffering and conflict that was awaiting him in Jerusalem. But they were afraid because they were beginning to see that this following Jesus thing, following Jesus all the way to Jerusalem, was going to mean conflict and potentially pain and suffering for them. So Jesus again begins to teach. He tells them again what's going to happen like he had in Mark eight thirty four. Look at Mark 10, 32 again. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Now, this is the third time he would tell them, but this time Jesus includes them in this uh, sort of death march in verse 33. He began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, look at this. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, he's speaking about himself here in very scriptural terms. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, the Jewish religious authorities, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish political authorities, to the Romans. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. All four of these things here, mockery, spitting, flogging, and death, they're predicted in the Old Testament in what we call the suffering servant passages in Isaiah. So in this moment here, in in naming these four things, Jesus is consciously claiming, I am the suffering servant predicted in the Old Testament. He's giving them a warning. He's telling them, this is who I am. And then he ends this section here by saying, and after three days, he, meaning the son of man, talking about himself here, he will rise. Now, clearly, most of the disciples had some inkling of what was going on, that trouble awaited them, and that death may be awaiting Jesus when they get to Jerusalem. But they hardly understood the full implications of what Jesus meant with all this talk of being delivered over the Jews and the Romans to be killed, and then especially this weird three-day thing. And so this confusion comes out here next. It's, the confusion's clear in the next verse. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, which is weird. They're thinking that Jesus' death was about restoring the glory of the, the temple for the, for the people of Israel. 
It was about securing the future political fortunes of the people of Israel. That's what they think he's doing here. So, so they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Help us out. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, look at verse 37. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. They're bucking for promotion in this new kingdom that he's obviously setting up in their thinking. They're trying to get first dibs and to be a part of his court and to, to push their way into to this new power. Jesus says to them, verse 38, you do not know what you're asking. You can't know what you don't know and can't know. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, he says? To share someone's cup in this way of speaking here, to share someone's cup was a recognized expression for sharing one's eventual fate and circumstances. So to share someone's cup, can you do that? He says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? To be baptized is to be submerged into death. Are you able to suffer and to die like me? Jesus in effect says, and they say to him, we're able, <laughs> we got this. And Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. You're going to share in my fate and, and die like me, but you can't possibly understand how yet. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. Only God the Father does that. And when the ten heard that, the rest of the disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. The rest got mad at James and John. So verse 42, Jesus called them to him. He got all the 12 together and he said to all of them, the whole group of disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority. Over them, Jesus is sort of putting sarcastic quotes over great ones here. But it shall not be so among you. But it shall not be so among you in this kingdom that I've come to set up. He's saying following me involves different priorities and powers than the priorities and powers of this world. Greatness in this kingdom doesn't mean what you think it means, James and John. It means this. Keep reading verse 43. But whoever would be great among you in this real greatness and real power in this new kingdom, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. In the wider Greco-Roman society, the virtue of humility was considered the lowest and the least important of the virtues. And here comes Jesus saying the exact opposite of the world. He's saying that humility and servanthood are what defines greatness. And here's the rub. Here's why Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man, even I, even the Messiah, sent from God to save you from your sins, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I came not to use my power and greatness for myself, but for you, Jesus says. I, I love you enough to die for you. Friends, death to self like this 
is how the servant king shows his love for you. And death to self, death to self is how you can know him instead of just knowing about him. So one practical takeaway thought followed by one question. To know and experience the servant king's love for you, you must die to self and serve like Christ. To really fully and truly and and actually know and experience deeply the servant king's love for you. You must take up the cross, die to self, and serve like the servant king. You see, you can't really know and experience the fullness of God's love for you if you're holding on to your own vision for your life and you haven't submitted your life's plans and goals and resources to the Lordship of Christ. You can't know and experience Jesus deeply if you refuse to die to yourself and you refuse to serve like him. A lot of us think we can just sort of add Jesus to our already existing worldly vision and our earthly ambitions, but that's not how it works in God's kingdom, friends. A lot of us think that instead of following Jesus all the way to Jerusalem, We can just sort of orient our lives so that he must follow us and just kind of help us do our thing. We end up sort of finding ways to fit Jesus into our lives. And we look for God to just kind of mildly and comfortably sanctify our existing desires. But we certainly don't want God to change them. Friends, that's not the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of you. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. You see, he's Lord over all. And he will not suffer fools, nor selfish selfish visions, nor piddly earthly competitors to the throne that he alone occupies. You must understand who Jesus really is. He's a servant, yes, but he's a king. And his service shows he's king. So if you want to follow Jesus closely and and to know him and, and deeply experience his love, then follow him all the way to Jerusalem, to your own death. If you're not going toward a place that ends in in your death, in death to self, then you are on a road that keeps you and your life's purposes intact. That's a different road than the Jesus road. If you really want to have Jesus... You must die and serve like him. (laughs) You see, friends, when you die to self and take on his vision for your life and you serve like the servant king, then you will begin to know in your bones, in your experience, in the flesh, what it feels like to love like Jesus, to suffer like Jesus, and to be over time shaped into his likeness. Only when you serve like him can you know his love. You want to know Jesus? Get on the road. Go to Jerusalem. Pick up the cross. Drink the cup. Go under the water. A life of dying to self and dying to our preconceptions of of worldly greatness That is what makes you fruitful for kingdom work. In this kingdom, where the servant king's in charge, 
You got to die before you can live. Let's take just a moment and let's think about this takeaway question. What in you needs to die so you can serve like Christ and know him deeply? Friends, dying to self makes the stakes clear. And I admit, can sound a little scary. Because we come to our relationship with God with preconceptions and worldly goals and and our dreams and ideas of what we want to do in life and, and our plans. But dying to self is something that means we're following Jesus. Jesus is walking ahead of you. In the very first verse here that we looked at in Mark 10, where Mark says that they're going to Jerusalem and that Jesus is walking ahead of them. As we said, he's not merely giving us geographical or travel details to provide some color commentary for the readers. Mark's ultimately giving us a metaphor for the Christian life. And it's a little scary to say you have to die to self. Because you may not know what's happening and and why you're going there and what's really involved in the next number of steps in following Jesus onto a cross on which you and I die. But the, but the encouragement is that Jesus is always walking ahead of us. He goes first. He's already paved the way. Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us that, that in the person of Jesus, we have a high priest, a mediator for us who walked the road we walked and yet did so without sin so that we can draw near to God with full confidence. You can do this because he did this, meaning you can do this dying to self thing because a perfect and a sinless God whose death works to save you, he's the one leading. If we're following the son of God whose death gave us life, we're going to be just fine. So be encouraged, take the next step, do the hard thing, pick up your cross. We worship and serve a God who has walked this road before. Dying to self may seem like a scary prospect, but rest assured, you're never actually alone on this road of death to self. Father in heaven, we want to say yes to what you've called us to do. So we ask that through your spirit's work in us to see clearly and to hear your voice, that we would say yes to crucifying the things in our life that need to be let go of by saying yes to the process of selflessness so we can say yes to you and Christ-likeness, trusting that your vision for our lives is way better than ours. Father, help us to do that so that we can serve like Jesus, dying to self so that we can help those around us think about their needs, encourage them, Make that call, send that card, have that conversation, give that gift. Prompt us, Lord, this week to be like Jesus, to pick up our cross so that we can serve others around us and thus experience the fullness and depth of your love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.